This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let me bring in the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio on a night uh, that we really need it, to be very honest. Uh, first up, a guy, I think it's his second time in, uh, but thrilled to have him back because he really, he fulfills the mandate of the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. Uh, former MPP, former city councillor, now the um, CEO, president, founder, and I don't know what other title he wishes to add, of Brad Clark Associates. Correct. Thank Appropriately, you. Brad Clark. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. We always appreciate having you here. I'm glad to be here. And next to him, a guy who actually now has an apartment in this building because he is here so often. <laughs> They've given him residence, permanent residence. Uh, he's like, um, what's his name from WikiLeaks, who's uh, living in the Ecuadorian embassy somewhere. Uh, Mike Fortune, welcome. Glad you're back. I'm glad you gave me an apartment. Normally, I would just get a cot, so that's great. Yeah, great to be here, Scotty. Well, you moved up because originally you started as like George Costanza with just a cot under <laughs> yeah, the bed, yeah. and now we've given you a whole room. But there's no door under there's there. No door. Yeah, I know. There's no door, but you know, people come and go, but it's uh, yeah. it's okay. Okay. It's good to be here. It's going to be a good couple hours, I think. Well, let's let's dive right in. There's no um, question where we're going to start on this one. Um, happy Bra- inauguration day, happy, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, um, what were your thoughts on what you saw today? Uh, you know what? It, there was no surprises. Uh, I expected there'd be protests. I expected that he would, Mr. President, would uh, reiterate basically what he stands for, which was America First. And I expected the media to attack, uh, which they did. So it was just another day. And CNN has really just become Trump news. I, I mean, I don't think they cover anything else yeah. except Trump now. We'll come back to all these things. But Mike, uh, first initial thoughts. What did you think today about what you saw? Uh, very similar to what Brad just said. No surprises. Uh, I, I tried to pay particular focus on on some of the people around Donald. Uh, I noticed a a family walking through the hallways of the sons and the son-in-laws and the wives and daughters to be very proud. Uh, I thought uh, Milena looked, you know, a a little uncomfortable. She's used to the spotlight, but not in live personally. She likes the camera. And and not that big a spotlight. Well, that's true. That's true. And, and, um, you know, it was fascinating, I thought, to watch uh, 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 President Obama and some of his reactions. Uh, I sensed a lot of pride from the Trump family. Um, Again, no surprise on how he spoke. It's almost like he was campaigning again. But, hey... He's got to put his money where his mouth is now. He's made some big promises. He's put a lot on his shoulders, and time will only tell now. There were a lot of comments that followed, and Brad, let's jump in with um, with what you said about the analyst, the immediate commentary. You talked about the media attacking, and I don't disagree. Um, a lot of people said that was completely unlike any other inaugural speech ever before. And they said it in a way that was negative. That, 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 you know, again, it's Donald Trump. He's being Donald Trump. It's not commonplace. He didn't have soaring rhetoric and all kinds of poetic things. And you know what? I, I was, I don't know how he was being attacked, honestly, for that, because I wouldn't have believed him if he did it. That's why would he suddenly, just because of the platform, change entirely who he is? He spoke to, he spoke today like Donald Trump. He's, the media in the United States have themselves in a box. It doesn't matter what Donald Trump does now, they're going to attack. Because there seems to be just a visceral hatred now. And and it's almost like they want him to fail. Absolutely they do. And and so when you're listening to their commentary, you can almost think, well, if he came out and he was um, quote-unquote presidential, 
they would attack him for not being himself. And so it, it's almost like it doesn't matter what he says, he's going to be wrong to the media. And I think he's figured something out. He's not talking to the media. He's talking to the American people. Mm-hmm. He's going right over the heads of the media to the American people. And if they're receiving his message, then he'll have some good numbers. The thing that t- today, to me, seem to have been lost on my industry, on the media people who are covering this, on the commentators afterwards, and, and this has seemed to happen even since the election, is that, and I've talked about this on the show before, there is a reason why Donald Trump got the support he did from middle America. And it's because for years, I believe, for years and years, the people who are not on the coast in New York or the big cities in California have been ignored, forgotten, belittled, put down, laughed at, poked fun at, whatever. And they had someone who, and it was ironic that it's a billionaire, but they had someone who finally was talking to them. And even since then, I still think that most of the media has still missed this point. That they're saying, well, he's a buffoon, he's this and that. He is still speaking to the people who voted for him in huge numbers, Mike, mm-hmm. and he's talking their language. And he's, they, the, the commentators can say, well, he was angry and he was this and that. He, I'm sure that if you were to take a poll today with the people who voted for him, 99.9% would say, that's what I wanted to hear. Do I dare call him a marketing genius? Like you just alluded to, he's figured something out. He knows who he needs to speak to and he will get his message across to those people. He'll get the message out to the people in the Rust Belt, in the, in the middle-income families and all that. He will do everything he can to get into their heads and into their ears. He doesn't care one iota about the media. He's proven that. He's proven that by doing all of his meetings in Trump Tower, by keeping the media, distancing them as far away as he wants. And you know what? He's broken the mold of what we consider a typical politician all the power to him. And if this is something that's going to become the norm, then it's something we had better get used to. Will that change though? Will there come a point when over a year or two years or three years or four years of constant media interrogations and questions and accusations, will it get to a point where even the supporters will break down and say, there must be something there? Will the the subconscious repetition convince a lot of people that he must be doing something wrong, even if he is or he isn't. It, it has happened in the past with other politicians. When they take a dislike to a politician, it, it can, can cause problems, no doubt. Um, but if he is going to continue to use the Twitter and, and, and use YouTube, which I thought was a brilliant move because he was actually speaking directly to the American people through YouTube and everyone wanted to see it, and the media didn't ask like, any questions on it. So he just bypassed all of that. Mm-hmm. And he'll decide when he wants to talk to the media. It is unusual. It's a shift in the paradigm for the American political uh, system. And the reporters are upset about it. So they want to punish him for that. They want him to get back into how they do business. But can it work? Can that, can that constant drumbeat? If, he ha- if he's strong enough? Yes. And if he has and the he right delivers. message, yep. the, if he delivers and if he always has that right but message. That's, Mike, you just, you skipped over the part that I think is key to it. If he delivers, he, ha- with the way he's doing this, but he forget, has to be successful, doesn't he? He's not afraid of actually pointing to who's the roadblock. Sure. Whereas many other politicians, while we've got caught up in some 
um, discourse and um, we're working through the hurdles and you try to be as civil as possible. He's not afraid of saying Chuck Schumer is stopping me from doing this. But this is a high-risk way of doing business because absolutely. he it is absolute an absolute requisite that he be successful. All those people, as Mike says, in the Rust Belt, if jobs don't start showing up or something doesn't change for them in a way that they can feel... But, but he's already changing the political environment. Yeah. He tweeted about businesses and business shares dropped. He wasn't even the president yet. And so the CEOs of major com- companies right now, the last thing they want is for Trump to tweet about their, their corporation or what they're going to do. They're going to close a plant uh, in the U.S. and move it somewhere. They don't want Trump talking about it. So they're calling him now. So he's already broken that mold where the corporations did what they wanted and the president was alone. And, and he, his whole career has been high risk. So this is nothing, this is not a new ballpark for him. He's used to this type of criticism and critiquing and way of doing business. And it has worked for him. Yes, I know he's had to go bankrupt and he's, he's done all these little things or big things, however you want to look at it. But at the end of the day, he is a businessman and that how, that's how he's going to run this country. But there is a vast difference between being a businessman in New York and having the Post or the Times or one or two of the papers, the Daily News, write about your foibles and having every journalist... And every online journalist and every basement journalist all with every little fine tooth comb going over every word that you say and parsing it. And look how he's handled all to this point. He still hasn't shown us his taxes, but he still comes out with messages through YouTube, through Facebook, through Twitter to deflect. Let me ask, sorry, go ahead. Did you ever see the movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Was that the Kevin Costner remake that Jimmy Stewart did earlier? Yes. That's kind of what Trump is, uh, is, has done. He's been the outsider who's come into Washington, and he's going to, what, what's the expression, drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. So he continued with that language oh, for the most yeah. part, uh, which was unpredictable, w- sorry, unpredicted. Um, but it, he really has put Washington on notice. So if you've ever been to Washington, I used to do some advocacy work in Washington. It is no city like any other. It, everyone is connected. They only talk about what's going on in Washington. It, the gossip is all about what's in Washington, and it's almost like they're in a vacuum, and the rest of America isn't important because they're in Washington, and they're doing America's business in Washington. He's figured that out because the rest of America doesn't like that. Yeah, if you go, if you, and I have been there, and you can drive half an hour roughly, and you get to Baltimore, and it is as if it was a different planet. Mm-hmm. It's a different planet. You are, you're absolutely right. And now you have been, and Brad, I mean, you've been a guy who's been in the, in the political world long enough. You, uh, at what point, how quickly does he have to then work to make this happen? He's, he says, I'm coming in and I'm making this go now. Honestly, how much time does he have, not just as a regular politician, with the platform and the statements that he's made, how long does he have to do something to show change? I think we'll find that they've already, they have already been doing things, even though they weren't in the White House yet. I think they've been holding meetings with stakeholders. They've been letting people know where they're going. Clearly, he's been putting his team together. I think he realizes and his team realizes that the normal 100 days 
that they talk about has to be really tight for him. Yep. And if it's not tight, then there's going to be a problem. So he needs to show that, you know, in four weeks, this is what we've accomplished. Hence his commentary where another 500 jobs have been saved, those types of tweets. So he's really going to demonstrate that he is changing the system. And that's why they're pushing so hard today for the appointments to get mm-hmm. approved. And I, I think one way that he can make change and basically put his money where his mouth is, is he has to take some of his business entities and not have his suits and his hats and his ties made in China. He has to bring those jobs to America. He has to bring, uh, he has to buy product that builds his buildings from the great U.S. of A. and practice what you preach, build it, they will come, they will follow whatever term you want to use. And it starts with someone like Donald Trump to make sure that that happens. And if he shows that he can do that, then you know what? I think everyone else will just fall right into place. And he's setting himself up for success. Do you think that the, I mean, he's got the House and the Senate as well. Do you think, and they're, and they're all Republicans. So theoretically, he should be able, not just with executive order, and I think everybody knows, I, I'm, I'm assuming everybody knows the difference. Executive order is he can sign something and make it, True, but it's not necessarily a law. So when the next president comes in, he can, with a swipe of a pen, change it, which is what's happening with a lot of things Obama did. A law to get through has to go through the whole thing. Theoretically, he should be able to make those sweeping changes. Do you think that Republicans, the other Republicans who are elected, are as on notice as you're talking about the rest of Washington is? I think he sent a pretty big message to them today when he walked in and after he was sworn in, he already started signing some executive orders, which is pretty much unprecedented for a brand new president to start signing executive orders that early on. And I'm not talking about appointments. He uh, changed something to do with um, climate change, uh, climate change and, and um, um, some insurance policy premiums that were going to be changed. And so, he, I mean, he's already jumping right in. Um, I... I heard one commentator today say, remember Obama couldn't get anything through because he didn't have the Congress supporting him? So how is Trump going to get anything through? The difference is Trump is a, is a masterful negotiator. Everyone says that. And it's the Republican Party and the Congress and the House. So, yes, there will be compromises to satisfy uh, his party. But at the end of the day, I think that you'll see that he will get things through. I look at this thing and I I honestly, um, I think you're probably right. I don't think the Republican Party could be as dumb as some might say they are by having seen that Obama had the House and the Senate his first two years and really even with that didn't get a lot of stuff done because they argued over a bunch of things. I don't think the Republicans having seen that will say we're going to repeat that mistake. Even if we disagree with some things, we have to show that things are happening. I, I honestly believe that. And if, if I'm wrong, they deserve every bit of criticism and every vote out that they get because they're just too darn stupid to not repeat history. So I think, I expect they will do things for him. The challenge will be checking egos. Sure. And, and each And state, absolute power. Absolutely. All of these fellas have... Um, men and women have these these reins in their own state that they want to push things through in, in their, their, their own seats. Um, and they have a president who has a veto authority. And so there's just, it's, it's, it's really a multi-pronged um, mm-hmm. 
what do you call that? <laughs> when you, well, there's a lot of meat moving pieces. They're, all, pu- and, they're all pulling on the strings <laughs> all at the same time. And, and the thing that is, is fascinating about this, you just kind of alluded to it. Donald Trump, yes, he's a great negotiator. He's also, he knows how to handle people. Oh, yeah. And, and that, is, that is a gift. Handle that, or intimidate? Whatever way you want to go. It's handling, it's intimidating, it's, 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 you you looked at his speech the night before and how he was just, he's, he's, he's picking out people. He's just thanking people. He's, he's making mention. He knows how to, to grasp a crowd. He knows what he's doing in, in basically every situation. He, he knows every, he, he, the stuff that he comes up with and he's talking about, he, he gets it. It just doesn't always come out the right way. I think the reality show Trump is not going to be... That persona is not who Donald Trump is when he's actually running a business or trying to govern. I'm going to be one of the things, and I'll never know this because I didn't get any call from any previous president, believe it or not. No one has ever called up. The president is on the line. But I, I will be really, I would be loving to know the reaction when Obama called and someone said, you know, the president is on the line. President Obama is on the line for you what people's response was versus when Donald Trump, because I I get the sense. Now, we don't know everything that happens behind the scenes. I don't know if Obama behind the scenes was a bully and, and tried to flex his muscles or if he tried to be a smooth operator like he showed in public. We don't know that behind the scenes, but I'd love to know mm. how that will be perceived. When he calls up to someone now, do they pick up the phone and they say, oh, great to hear from you, or they go, oh, crap, what's You're he calling for now? In, in in, as within politicians, the, as politicians and people working it within the, on what the political the world. battle of the day is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times, I'm sure, where politicians aren't going to jump to answer the phone call of someone who's insulted them publicly, um, and there will be other times when, yeah, they'll they'll readily accept that phone call. Same, uh, someone visiting, you know, just tell them I'm busy. You know, you I've heard these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's going to be. I I think his his. He seems to be the type of guy that knows when to stroke people and compliment people, um, talk about their, how's your family doing, I heard your grandson was sick, things like that, mm-hmm. as well as, okay, let's get down to business. And we can go this far and we can't go any, you know, and negotiate. And remember, negotiate uh, by its sheer definition is give and take. So you're suggesting, what you're really suggesting, as I understand it, is that the Donald Trump that we see, the Donald Trump persona that we have been told about is probably vastly different from the Donald Trump that will actually operate and person to person try and do politics in Washington. Not necessarily what we've been told about, but what we've witnessed on television in that reality show. A reality show is. Are edited. you counting an election as a reality show? Because no, it kind no, of is. Because some people are on <laughs> real reality. It is, but the reality show. People were comparing him to what his reality show was, and and that was an edited performance. Likewise, in the election. He'll be the first one to say, well, some things you talk about in election and other things you don't. Kim Campbell mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much lost an election by talking about that here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to see that he recognizes that it's the art of the deal, which means Ba-boom. you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you right. must negotiate, which means he will compromise, but you're going to compromise too. If you don't want NAFTA ripped up, then you're going to come to the table and talk to me about NAFTA. Let me. That's what he'll do. And that's a great. And Mike, let, we got to go to a break in just a second. Sure. But I, I'm glad you brought up NAFTA uh, because this, to me, st- I mean, it strikes at the heart of a lot of what's going on. Where he talked today a lot about America first, and a lot of people say, "Oh, that's, that kind of sounds like it's uh, xenophobia or it's a you know scary or whatever." 
is there anything wrong with the leader of a country? And I, I, I don't know the answer to this exactly. Is there anything wrong with the leader of a country saying, I am going to do, I'm looking out for my country first as instead of looking out globally? Nothing wrong with that at all. He, he has to answer to the people that voted him in. He so why? Have, he doesn't why, have to vote. He doesn't have to care about what happens in Canada or Mexico. Him. So why are so many people then so scared? If he says America first, why is that seen then as a scary thing? Because if every country in the world did that, we wouldn't have any trade deals at all. But we're not talking, I'm not saying scary from uh, from Canadians' perspective, I think we can be nervous. But I'm saying I'm hearing a lot of Americans saying when he says America first, that's frightening. Previous presidents have said America first. And it really is a question of what does he mean by America first? Does he mean that if there is um, aggression in another country, someone crosses the border illegally, that America's not going to go to bat for them? I don't know. Maybe that's what he means. Troops are staying home. We're not getting involved everywhere else. Previous presidents have gone down that road. Obama was kind of half and half, committed some troops, but not enough to actually resolve the issue. Is he meaning America first on trade? I think a, a part of That's it is, is definitely he's talking about trade. I want America, he wants Americans to have jobs. He wants Americans to have jobs. He wants to, his borders protected. He wants to have a safe, wealthy country. And if, if, as a Canadian, you shouldn't be worried about Donald Trump. I think you should be more worried about how Justin Trudeau will or won't be able to handle Donald. And, and he's got to get off his tail, stop taking selfies, and learn how to work with this new leader. CEOs of major corporations... The corporation is first, but what's above the corporation? Shareholders. shareholders. Who are the shareholders in America? The people. The citizens. So why isn't that paradigm what people are judging him on? If he was the CEO of IBM and he said IBM first, that means he's going to look after the shareholders. Mm -hmm. Shareholders would be buying stock. We're happy about this. Now here's a CEO who has that mindset in the corporation and he's now saying America first and he said it quite clearly. I don't care what color you are, who you mm -hmm. are, you're an American and you come first. So how, and we've just got about two minutes left before we go to a break here. So how do you square that with what you just said? Everybody, all America, how do you square that with the comments that he made in the election that many people say were racist, were sexist, were xenophobic, were whatever? How do you square the things he said today that it is all about you? And everyone is equal, and there's no room for racism or for, uh, what was the word used? There's no room for whatever um, in our country. How do you square that, Mike, with the stuff that he said when he was on the campaign trail? Because I think now, as president, he knows it's a divided country. Exactly. And the, the only way that country, America, is going to prosper now is if they go back to be in the United States. So he has to unify that country. And he will unify it, and I think... Oh, People are already starting to forget all that, and it's time to move on, folks. It's happened. It, oh, I it's think it's time now. to move on, but I don't think people are starting to... I, I, but I, I don't think the Democrats are going to jump on his bandwagon no. anytime soon. And I think there's a lot of um, groups in America that are truly afraid, and they're waiting to see what he does. Are they waiting? Yeah. Well, some are. Clearly, some are protesting, but let's face it, we have protests in Canada, too. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of America is upset that, that exactly. Trump is now the president. It means you have a divided country. So now he has to prove himself to the people who didn't vote for him as well as the people who did vote for him. And, and we'll see whether or not what he's saying is actually what he does. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. We will be back to continue with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.
We're not going to. Uh, we're going to uh, step away from Donald Trump for a moment. Kind Thank of. You. Well, you know, it's been a long day, and I, listen. I know everyone's had a lot of Donald Trump. We couldn't not talk about it tonight. I mean, oh, let's be honest. We, it's there's no way. Day, it's inauguration day, and it's the most controversial inauguration in a lot of people's eyes ever. So there's no way we're not going to. But there are now a lot of people who are saying we may soon have our own Donald Trump. Kevin O'Leary of Dragons Den and uh, Shark Tank fame is has jumped into the conservative leadership race and Scott Thompson had him on the show on his show this afternoon it was a great get and it was a great interview Mike um is Kevin O'Leary Donald Trump without hair <laughs> Look the the, the mold the, like I said it in the last time the mold has kind of been broken so I would expect to see more politicians or or pol- people that want to get into politics try to go this route. Shock and awe. Know your audience. Brad, you mentioned that earlier about Donald. Know your audience. Speak directly to them. Don't worry about all the rhetoric r- around you. Don't worry about er- what everyone around you thinks or says. Just talk to the people that are going to vote you in, and then you got to put your money where your mouth is. If he wants to be a big mouth, and he, if he wants to emulate what Donald Trump is all about, hey, all the power to him. Oh, I think he will. Y- 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 there's no guarantee he's going to get in. No. Um, but so I think he'll imitate. It, it, it will. Hey. Isn't that the the greatest form of flattery? We know imitation? we know from recent years. Switching a metaphor here, but we know in recent years, a couple of years ago, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series, and they did it with a very unconventional way of building a team. They didn't spend a ton on their offense. They built. They spent their money on a bullpen, which was the last thing most teams do. Mm-hmm. And they would just bring one guy out of the bullpen after another who threw a hundred miles an hour, and they won. And what happened? They win the every team. single team now says, oh, we got to build. So the Yankees go out and get three closers. And every and, and look how NHL teams play the hockey. You know, if, and then, oh, that works, let's do it. If it works, people copy. And that's why I say, I think that Kevin O'Leary seems to me to be the guy that will look and say, it worked for Donald Trump. I may not say the exact same things. I may temper it a little bit. But he's. I, I see that there will be some similarities. I expect some similarities. I would agree to some similarities. Uh, I would agree that there are conservative uh, politicians and candidates for leadership specifically who are looking at what has happened in the United States and saying we can do we can repeat that here. Uh, I'm not convinced that the general Canadian public would go down the same road as the American public. Yes, there are many people in Canada that are feeling disenfranchised. Um, but not to the same degree as the United States. In Canada, we do have a social safety network. They don't have that in the States. We have, uh, if you lose your job, you have um, uh, uh, unemployment insurance and you have uh, the the, uh, social services benefits, et cetera. Uh, The United States, they've got green stamps. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same social net to catch people. So because of that, I'm not convinced that people are going to scramble to a far-right conservative ideology. The biggest fear for me is that the Conservative Party of Canada um, jettisons the progressives because they think that going to the right is going to get them elected. You touch on something that, and I'm glad you did, because I hadn't meant to bring this up, but it's it's a great question. It's a great point. You talk about disenfranchised. People feel disenfranchised in Canada. P- 
people for decades, for generations have voted and their person has lost the election and they have gone on with their life and been willing to accept the next person who comes in. Sometimes they have been willing to switch parties and flip around. Uh, Ronald Reagan, going back to the States for a second, won 49 states. There's no chance that could happen. Why are people, what has happened that we've become disenfranchised like this? What's happened that we've changed that we're so entrenched now that if we lose, we are outraged? We're absolutely outraged and the world is going to crap if we lose. It's horrible if we lose. We can't deal with losing in politics anymore, it seems. It seems. I think that in Canada is not not quite as bad, but in the United States, there was more to it. You don't think that if Stephen Harper had won this last election, that sentiment would not have been broadly held by people who voted for liberals? They would have complained for a while. They would have continued complaining. There wouldn't have been protests in the street. There wouldn't have been fires. There wouldn't have been vandalism. I agree. agree with that. Um, The Canadian uh, culture, the Canadian values, okay, we've had the election. My guy, I can't believe they voted for that guy. That's what you'd hear on the radio and a few other things. Um, but they move on. And the press here, for their, for the most part, uh, try to be balanced and, and cover all sides. It doesn't matter who. I mean, I, I listen to CHML regularly. You guys get blamed for being too conservative, too liberal, you're, but you're actually just asking hard questions. Mm-hmm. Same with the spectator. They get blamed, well, it's a liberal paper. No, it's a conservative paper. They ask the same questions. Um, so w- when we're talking about an entire a country moving to the right, because that's what these guys are counting on, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't care if it's Dennis uh, or uh, O'Leary. I don't care who it is. They're not. Yeah, it's go- not Dennis O'Leary who's yeah. running yet. Although that yeah. would be <laughs> very entertaining. <laughs> that, would went, be, oh, yeah, that would be <laughs> awesome. That'd be very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> he might get votes, but but O'Leary is. There are, what is there now, 18 people running? It's some an incredible number. It's like the early Republican yeah. primaries, yeah. And you already have um, Ms. Leach who's running around talking about values, and, and it's not ringing true. Yes, there are some people in the Conservative Party that are supporting that, but the rest of Canada is not going to support that. So you can try and bring those people into the party, but if you try and run a general election on it, you're going to lose. Well, there's also one other thing, Mike, and that is I think that Ms. Leach, I don't know that people buy her selling of that. I think they buy that that Kevin O'Leary is that. I think it seems legitimate. It seems who he is. I think they could see that that is an honest representation of his views. I think it looks to a lot of people like she is just trying to channel mm-hmm. Donald Trump and they don't buy it. They don't think it's 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 authentic. Again, because he already has a, a personality, a character, if you will, on television. So we are used to seeing him be this way. And you can't, you can't, f- how do I say this? I, I don't want to come out wrong. You can't fake how, how Donald Trump acts. You can't fake how Mr. O'Leary acts. It's either in you or isn't. So when Mrs. Leach tries to do this, it just doesn't come off right. That's right. It, it doesn't comes seem... Off. It doesn't... It just... It's so... Oh, what are you doing? Just stop talking. The the thing about... The, and I, I was asked this question today and I was talking with someone about it today that someone said, well, will Kevin O'Leary have success? And it's my absolute belief, absolute belief, 100%, that it's got, not, it's got very little to do with him. The person who is going to be elected, the person who has the biggest impact on who will be elected as the next Prime Minister of Canada is the current Prime Minister of Canada. 
if he does his job in a way that people are satisfied with and believe that he is doing a good job and believe that he's addressing their needs, he will get reelected because people do that. They reelect people or in the States, they, after eight years, they will elect the next person in that party if they believe things are heading in the right direction. So Justin Trudeau really holds in the palm of his hand the decision about whether or not Kevin O'Leary is a politician who will have success or not. It's entirely up to Justin Trudeau. It's his election to lose. It always is, though. Exactly. It always is. The incumbent always is in that situation. And if they're really fulfilling their mandate and talking about fulfilling their mandate and, and handling all of the issues that come up because there's, I don't care who's in office, there's always some crisis that you have to avert or make the best of, uh, then they'll do okay. That's why we get, have, you know, many times you get, you know, well, look at the Liberal Party. They were re-elected, 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 even though they had some really challenging times. It's not And why was that? Because people generally believe things were going okay. Correct. But can Mr. O'Leary and his team not watch, and I'm sure they have been already, watch what Justin Trudeau is, how he acts, how he responds? You could basically just pick him apart and say, all right, these are the things that we know he's good at, bad at, and we are just going to defend, deflect, we're going to do everything that we need to to, to tear him down and, and to be like a Donald Trump and to build ourselves up. You mean do like Kathleen Wynne did in the last provincial election, which was the one time Quite that I possibly. can remember that a politician who was so widely disliked managed to actually make the other person seem worse, Yeah, which was, it's very unusual to do that. It's very rare to be able to in do Ontario that. In Ontario politics and BC politics, that has become the norm. They are, are really negative political campaigns where you highlight every single mistake that your opponent is making and you say it a thousand times until everyone believes it. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing in Ontario. I almost wonder if right now, now, I mean, because Kevin O'Leary has such a, he's, he's so well known, he has such a profile already. If his wisest move, and he's not going to listen to me, he's going to do what he's going to do. But if his wisest move would not be just to say, I'm in. But I'm contemplating what we're going to do. I'm going to give it some time to think, and I'll let Justin Trudeau maybe hang himself by his own petard because lately there have been a bunch of gaffes. And then if Justin Trudeau starts to get pointed back in the right direction, then he jumps in. But in the meantime, let him let him do his own thing, and I'll stay out of it. If I was advising Kevin, I'd tell him to tone down what he says about the leaders that one day he might have to work with. Um, so not be so brash and so... Um, critical, and it's not even critical, I mean, it's it's disparaging comments about Justin and about Kathleen, he has to tone that back. If he wants to be the leader of the party, he now has to start act, acting like he could be prime minister. There are lots of people in the party that can, can go on the attack. He doesn't have to do that. But then... He, th- He's not. He's not. He's not going to be the Donald Trump then of Canada because Donald did everything opposite what you just said. Hundred percent. And and then that. But this is Canada. I. I. I yes. We're we're polite and we're proper. And oh, I'm very sorry that I called you a name. Will you? You know. Will you accept my yes? Of course. Oh, but it's the oh. Ernie Eves campaign. Ernie Eves went after Dalton McGuinty. Called him every name in the book. The Canadian public or the Ontario public hated. They blanched at that. They went right after him. What? This is not who we are. And uh, Mr. McGinty did the proper thing by just sitting back and talking about what he's going to do and not addressing all of the commentary that was coming out of Mr. Eve's mouth. In the end, it worked against him. 
Didn't we see the same thing with all the ads about Justin Trudeau before yes, the last election? Absolutely. You have to be in this country, I really believe in this country, you have to be really, really despised by a large section of the electorate for those kind of attacks to work to your benefit. Otherwise, you look mean, and we One don't like mean and One of my former campaign advisors used to say, you have to be British. You have to, to be respectful. But And that that's all fine and great and dandy, and I get it, but that was all pre-Trump, pre of what we've just Times seen. have definitely So you think Canadians changed. would buy into Trump philosophy? It's quite possible. We, well, we'll, Stranger things have happened. We've got months and years to find out because we've got a few years left before the next Canadian election. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Talked about international politics. We've talked about national politics. Um, last stop on the political excursion this evening. Let's uh, let's bring it right down to the city of Hamilton. I'm out of here. Yeah, no, I am. Um, <laughs> See ya. Oh, yeah, man. it's a familiar turf. Although you, you wow. know, we, we skipped over the provincial side. You could have helped with that too. Yeah. But uh, here, here's my. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> well, you didn't get voted out. I got uh, fired once. Yeah. <laughs> Provincially, I got fired, right? <laughs> uh, here's, the, here's the question I have from this week. We heard a report that said that our roads are in such terrible, terrible shape that we're going to have to pay double what we have been paying just to maintain them at a sea level. And I don't know exactly how to describe what a sea level is, but it doesn't sound like it's top-of-the-line roads. It's basically keep your axle from breaking as you go through the potholes. Sea's just above average. Right. But that means we're now getting up to $50 million a year. And it's not just our roads that we have problems with. We have infrastructure that needs to be, every year we have pipes that burst. We know, Brad, I'll go to you first on this one, because this is right up your wheelhouse. But explain. I predicted it on your show. You did. And explain to me though, explain to me, really, no, no funny, how do we, how are we going to deal with this? Because we don't have money. And we also don't have, I don't think, either the political wherewithal or the acceptance from the public to say, you know what, we're going to bring your taxes up 40% this year to handle this. How does this actually get handled? We could do an entire show on it, but to be brief, let me back up. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the province of Ontario used to, uh, it would be about six years ago, roughly, when I was first elected municipally, they were, were still doing it, would give so much money to each municipality for road reconstruction. It wasn't a great sum of money, about $40, $50 million, but it helped. They slowly weaned them off that and moved the money to transit. Now, urban centers don't get, we, they don't get any money from the province for roads. Rural and northern Ontario get money for roads. Because they can't get transit. Because they can't get transit, exactly. And so transit has become the sexy, I hate using that term, but the hot Mm -hmm. election topic. Um, People will vote me back in because I'm in favor of of fancy transit. Um, That's what the politicians provincially and federally truly believe. And it's a part of their climate. If you look deep enough, it's part of the climate control, right? You know, you're not burning fossil fuels. So I'm not saying that's bad or not, but the fact is that they shifted the money. So Hamilton now has to pay for all road reconstruction on their own. They were already paying a portion. So now they're paying um, anywhere from 50 to $75 million a year just on reconstruction. They should be paying about $150 million a year. 
And that's just to get them to the, the average of maintaining the roads. And that's why year after year you see the roads look, hmm, they're getting a little bit worse. But the senior levels of government have not responded to any urban city with money for roads. But if we want to then pay for those to keep our roads from falling into disrepair, you have to take money out of somewhere else that then falls into disrepair. And then you take money from somewhere else to pay for that. You're always chasing the pot. So where, uh, how do we ultimately do this as a city? Or do we just say, you know what? Too bad, so sad. We're go- the city is going to buy now a Powerball ticket every time and hope it goes up to $2 billion again and maybe we can cover it for a while. How do we possibly keep our city in repair? I think a part of it is educating the public that the money has to be spent on the roads. I think a part of it is prioritizing the money. So not so much money would move towards um, uh, rec- new recreation centers and things like that. So you have to prioritize your budget just like you do at home. If your roof's leaking, you don't go and put a pool in while your roof leaks. You fix your roof first, and then you talk about the pool. So you have to prioritize. And I'm not saying the councillors aren't doing that. They have been doing that. But also the the public demands certain things. They demand more splash pads and, and things like this, and all of that costs money. And so you and those have, all win elections. They all win elections. Ribbon so cuttings are, are sexy things, to use that word again. So I think the council, and I think you'll, you'll hear them talking about, um, it's called a road diet, mm-hmm. where they kind of say, oh, well, we don't need that part of the road anymore, so we're, we're not going to repave that. And you'll see them talking about road diets. You'll see them talking about new revenues, new fees, tolls. Uh, I think everything is going to be on the table because I honestly do not believe that the feds or the province are going to cough up money for roads. But th- go ahead, Mike. Well, yeah, I, so I got one question. Not to take away from the Scott Radley show, but Mike's got no, a question please here. please jump in. There, there's lo- always lots of talk about city slush funds and, you know, uh, $260,000 spent for reports and consultants, and it's not just one time, and it happens more and more. Is there behind the scenes, Brad, and you've been there, is there this kind of lump sum of money that the councillors are just going after and being able to use? Can it not be put towards fixing up our roads and such? It's, it's one thing that has just driven me absolutely bonkers hearing about all this wasted money. Everyone's getting paid, but we're not fixing our own city. They live by a budget. The law says that the cities, every city in, in the province of Ontario, they cannot run a deficit. So they have to have a balanced budget at the end of the year. So if they spend more money, they've got to find the money somewhere. And so they have reserves set aside for emergencies, bit bad snowstorm, windstorm, things along that line. But it's much, much, much like uh, you said at the very, at very beginning here, it's, it's a balancing act. So they're taking from one pot to pay another pot. And, and so it's a question of priorities. So when they come up with, oh, well, we need $250,000 for a study and we don't have the money in the budget then that means they have to find the money in the budget, which means something that has been allocated funding is no longer going to get that money. And they do that on a regular basis just to make the ends meet. And it's not a bad thing. Every city in the province does it. But you have a situation then like the Claremont access where the wall is falling down and suddenly it's a million dollars that's not expected and suddenly that money has to be found. And this is the kind of thing that I'm really asking about, and that is we have a city that is old as far as its infrastructure, and more and more and more we are going to, I expect, have these kind of repairs that need to be done, unexpected things that aren't necessarily in the budget. And I just frankly, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not trying to be silly. I don't quite understand where the money is going to come from to keep everything going, to keep all the balls in the air that the juggler wants to keep up there. So the money comes from debentures or loans, so the city borrows money, 
or they issue, in essence, bonds, debentures for the money. The city money comes from the province, or the money comes from taxes and fees. That's it. And, and There's nothing else. And the, gov- and the province is not going to be dumping a ton more money here, no. we don't expect. And I don't know how much in the debentures department. I, 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 don't re- I can't well, really they, speak they, to that. They have but- a debt policy with the city, so they know that um, there's a, a formula where they have to, they're allowed a certain amount of debt based on the amount of cash that's coming in. So based on the taxes coming in, can they pay their, their debt as well as operate the city? That's what Moody's and all those people want to see. In, in layman's terms, that's what's happening. Can we, though? And I, I've argued this before, and I'll, you're the expert, though. You're much more of an expert than I am. Can we? I think there's 6,800, something like that, municipal employees in this city. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in seeing anyone fired or laid off. That's not what I'm talking about. But can we afford to keep that many or do we need to start saying, you know what, time for a hiring freeze. As people cycle out, we're just not going to replace them. No one's getting fired. No one's losing their livelihood. But we're going to have to, over the next five, ten years, get that number down by four, five hundred, something like that, just to find. Because when you take out their salaries and their benefits with a municipal salary structure, which is not horrible, that's some serious money. Yeah, and that's the operating budget. And so the capital budget for roads is different than the operating budget. But they can't budget. take one from the other? Uh, they've already passed the capital budget. Mm-hmm. And the operating budget is, is how much it's actually cost to fulfill the programming that's in place. And so I think you're going to find this council either this year, next year, and then I would suspect for the next four or five years, actually looking at services. Do we really need this service or can we do without this service? And what I'm asking about is ultimately the taxes come from the same taxpayer's pocket. So if the operating budget and the capital budget, mm-hmm. you put them all together and that's what your taxpayers have to pay. So if the operating budget goes down a little, the capital budget goes up, but it's, that's what I'm talking about. If you can find ways. Well, if, if, the city, if the city council doesn't want to address the taxation issue, which means bringing in more money, if they don't want to borrow more money, um, then they have to figure out where it's going to come from. And if they don't cut services, then the only thing that's left is uh, eliminating area rating, which would, again, be a tax shift, but it would be revenue uh, that they don't have currently. Mike, do you have a brilliant idea about how the city gets itself out of the bit of a, well, not bit, out of the pit that it's in? Because It's, it's, it's almost a crisis. Because I'll, I'll we're, be th- what is it, $3.5 billion infrastructure deficit we've got, something like that in yes, the city? in total. That's in total, for in, of course, in total. Yeah, I wish I did. I'd be elected tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I truly don't. I, I, it's, it's, it's just, it's mind-boggling to continually hear, and thank you for explaining some of that, Brad, regarding the budget and all that stuff. It just It's mind-boggling to hear what, from what it sounds like money just being wasted. Does well, that make sense to you? Or am I off base with that comment? Of course I, I there's going to be it, some waste. It, there's going to be some. It's an easy thing to say, oh, yeah, there's, there's a waste of money. It's harder to actually find where they're wasting the money, and that's what a value-for-money audit does, and they've been doing many of those. Um, the, the, the real challenge when they're looking – um, at the finances, uh, is is that balancing act? It's not a question of of waste per se. It's it's a question of of are we paying enough to keep, in essence, we're talking about roads now, in good shape. So they have a, a program. It's called asset management. It's Hamilton was one of the leaders in creating this program. It's a software program where every single piece of inventory in the province forced it on every city. You have to inventory all of your assets, so everything that's capital put a price tag on it, put a maintenance plan on it, 
and come up with the numbers. And that's how they are able to come up with these numbers now. And so when you're looking at a road, a road in five, 10 years is going to need some work on it. Initially, it's just filling potholes, filling cracks. 10, 15 years out, um, if you can get a road to 15 years, you're doing really well. 10 years, you've got to do some major work on the road. So they know all of the roads in the city and what level of repair they're at. And all of that repair is at a C grade. So that means that some are worse than others because it's your average. Um, some are in really bad shape. Um, and there's simply not enough money currently to get the roads to a B or what we would say outstanding roads. Does, but, does, uh, does, when, when you're talking about the roads, and again, I, I don't know the engineering behind it all, but I'm just going to pivot just a little bit because we also hear about so much time wasted with, with city workers sitting in their trucks behind malls, letting their, their trucks idle, uh, so on and so forth. Is there not a better way to utilize the city staff, the people that are out doing this, to, to keep a better eye, to be on top of this a lot more, to be on top of it a lot quicker, as opposed to it just being checked up through this asset man- management uh, program on a yearly or bi-yearly basis? Is there a way to get them to work harder or, or smarter? Uh, a lot of issues there. Productivity is one. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So productivity of employees, uh, productivity of employees can actually, uh, there's a lot of things that impact that, but a part of it is the attitude and and the morale of an organization. And, And so if the morale of your department is low, then your productivity is low. If your morale in your department is high, then, you know, things are getting done faster and quicker and more, um, um, responsibly. And so productivity, there's no quick fix saying, okay, you got to work harder because that doesn't happen in real life. It comes down to human resource management. Um, they have a system where they're, they're tracking the hours of work, a Cronus system and mm-hmm. things like that. So they're following all, all those procedures. But at the end of the day, the larger issues for the city is not the manpower per se. The largest issues for the, the city is the actual infrastructure deficit. And we got to go to a break. But, you know, you said something, and I agree a thousand percent. I have agreed for, the, for a long time. We also in the city, as much as it's not appetizing, it's not exciting, we need to stop building new stuff and fix the stuff we have, not only because it's falling apart, but because everything you build new you also have to maintain it adds to eventually to the deficit. We can't afford to keep, we all want new facilities. We all want new this and new that. We can't afford it right now. If you have five ice rinks that are in disrepair, should you keep five or build one new one that would manage, would three ice rinks do it? So you have to start rationalizing your capital. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Last night... Great event, always a great event when you have things like this. They had the Woman of Distinction Awards yeah. in the city of Hamilton. 73 women nominated. It was, it was an, an, honestly an awful lot of people. If I was one of the 12 Hamiltonian women who was not nominated, I might be a little offended that I wasn't chosen. <laughs> but regardless, it's, you know, these, it's great when we honor local people. My question, though, is this. Have we reached the point when we should be stopping or stepping away from segregating awards and just having Hamilton? Do we need a Woman of Distinction Award? Do we need a Hamiltonian of Color Award? Do we need an Asian Hamiltonian Award? Or should there just be Hamiltonian Awards? I kind of like the current setup. It's an opportunity for different groups to, to have their night. 
Um, they're, they're, they're fundraising, they're set, getting their message out, whatever their message or whatever their group motto might be. And, you know, I like the fact that it gives an opportunity for Hamiltonians to get together a few dozen, a uh, few dozen, maybe a dozen times a year. Corporations are involved. Brad, I know you've been in a number of them. Scott, we all have been. I think it's nice. I don't think you should p- group us all into 550,000 Hamiltonians and say, here's the award for greatest Hamilton. It's nice that the women have their great event, and I love the John C. Holland Awards, and the list goes on and on. So, no, I don't think there should just it be— It doesn't separate us, you don't think? No, I don't, I don't think so at all. And As a matter of fact, I think it brings us more together. How? It, it brings us more together How? as a city by having those special nights where you can focus on— that one particular group, and then you can you, you tweet. Now you're tweeting about it, and you're Facebooking, and you're periscoping it. It brings you all together for that one night, and then you go to another awards show the the following week, and it brings you all together for that. And it's what makes this community so great is that we are so diverse with color, race, religion, male, female, the youngsters, the volunteers of the of of this great city. It's great that we are able to have separate special nights where you do get your you get your five minutes in the sunshine. But are we not always talking about breaking down barriers? Let's let's remove the things that divide who's the us. Who's we? Yeah, who's the we? I've never I, once we, said you, that. You don't hear people saying we got to get rid of barriers in the city. We got to stop the divisions between us. We have to be I hear barriers between and, the mountain and Hamilton. That's well, the, yeah, oh, we there are div- <laughs> that, that, that's our next one. Be the <laughs> upper city awards and the lower <laughs> yeah, city awards. There are, there's no doubt that there there are divisions across the city, and there are communities that know nothing about another community, and that's an issue. There's no doubt about that. Um, but if you look at the the whole city of Hamilton, they have the Gallery of Distinction Award, which is really the, the whole city of Hamilton, and, and anybody can win that. Um, I shouldn't say anyone. Obviously, they've done an awful lot in the community. We know what the Anyone the could qualify are. if they, they reach the level. qualify and reach that level. But the rest of the groups, uh, realistically, Scott, they're, they're, they're mostly associations, and so they have their their own board of directors, and they have their own mission and vision. And and somewhere in their mission and vision, um, they feel compelled to to recognize people who have helped their association meet that mission and vision. So I think that's that's what it's about. Um, now, if we had Donald Trump here, he'd say, "Nope, only one award." Um, but I, I think that's taking it to a, to an extreme. Uh, I, I I mean I. I've received awards from time to time, and, 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 and candidly, people are, are usually very embarrassed about it because there are yeah, many about other giving people. you an award? No, not <laughs> giving me an award. Just my mother. Um, <laughs> that was good. You're embarrassed about receiving an award because it, it's not just you who, who accomplished all these right. things. You worked with people to get these things mm-hmm. done. So preserving the Aramosa Karst, I didn't do that alone. I worked with many, many people for that to happen. I may have helped spearhead it. Um, so when you receive an award, and, and I love this about the award, the awards, every single person thanks people who worked with them. Because mm-hmm. the award is more about the whole community than just the one person. The reason I ask, though, uh, in this You're particular a case. Well, that, but also because. <laughs> if, you haven't won you, an award? Is that why? You're well, upset? No, <laughs> Let's it's nominate them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's been a couple, but it's been a while. Okay, worst right. talk show guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be me. Sorry. <laughs> No, because generally, if you have these broken down, broken out awards, so you talk about the Gallery of Distinction, that is a general, 
thing. But as you start to break them apart, it seems to me often to suggest that they are a group that couldn't otherwise win one. So we have to specially give one. Mm-hmm. Though the the and look, the women who were nominated, they're all great women. I'm not. I, this is not in any way a shot at the people who are nominated, but it suggests that somehow we need to give a special award or have an opportunity for women to win one. Because if we put them into a real big award with all the men too, well, they don't really have a chance. So we have to give them a chance to get Uh, something. We have to look at the history of our country. uh, My wife and I watched a movie the other night. I can't remember the name of it. Um, It was uh, a mathematician. She was uh, an African-American young lady who was... Yes, about the nuclear... uh, And, and when I'm watching this, I didn't live in the 1960s in that time frame, and I've only learned things through history. So watching a movie and seeing it with colored washrooms and seeing the misogyny and the racism, and it played out right in front of you, we need to remember that history with some of the associations that are coming up with these awards. Absolutely, it's a part of their mission and vision. It's a recognition um, and I'm pleased to see people being honored in that way. But though, the problem with those was that they were segregated, they were separate, and they Probably. were put apart. Now, that's my entire point. Should we be not removing some of these barriers to say, no, we're all together now. We're all equal so now. So you're saying women are equal with men? I would say in our society that women are equal with men, sure. I would say that we're aspiring to having women equal with men because there's still a lot of things that women do not have equal pay for equal work yet. Many people don't get paid exactly the same as a guy based on merit. Um, I was astounded to see a, a professor, I forget the name of the university, uh, a lady professor was not getting paid anywhere near what the, the men professors were getting paid. Um, recently, there was a movie star, a female movie star, who her, her what, Amy made, Adams. Four, made four or five times what she made. Clearly, there isn't yet equality. We like to talk about being a tolerant nation, an accepting nation. We like to talk about being equal, but in reality, there's different types of equal. And what we pledge to and what we say may not necessarily be true with people living in society today. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, Brad, I, I see exactly where your point is coming from, and it makes complete sense. And it's unfortunate, and it, it touches close to, to the Here's fortune the household. There yeah. you go. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, th- things need to be done to change that. Um, it, it's I think it's still a long road ahead, unfortunately. Uh, but we have to keep grinding away. And so uh, when, we, when we have a night like uh, the, the Gallery of Distinction or the, the Distinction of Women Awards, you know, it, it as much as it shouldn't be a reminder as to how many great women we have in this city, it because we all should be equal, it is a nice reminder to, hey, look, these people have done probably way more than I've done in my lifetime. They deserve to be honored. And if that helps raise that bar for future generations of women, then so be it. I think it's a great thing. When we truly have a country that is accepting and treats everyone, regardless of color, religion, sexual orientation, sex, equally and accepts everyone, then we won't be talking about this. But we won't be seeing that in our generation. I don't think so. Will we ever? Is equality really, I mean, unless we go to a pure communist or socialist system, we'll never have that though. That's, we'll never have equality. We, we can strive for things and I, and I don't want to get into a whole, you know, Stalin, you know, Castro debate here, but I mean, the, the reality is we're never going to have that. They're not equal societies at all. No, Mm. no. But when we talk about equality, there are men who don't make as much as other men. I think the aspirations that, that we have as a country to treat everyone fairly, that the charter of rights and the human rights that we have to treat everyone equally and fairly and reasonably, that's something that we aspire to, but we have not achieved yet. You don't think, you don't think we're close to that. 
No. Um, to treating people, to treating everyone fairly. With And of course, there are always going to be exceptions. We know this. There are always going to be some racists among us, some sexists among us. We, we know that. But even in utopia, that I would be I remember sitting on city council and talking about sanctuary city. Um, we didn't authorize the city to be a sanctuary city, but we authorized that um, staff could talk to people who were falling astray of the immigration system and provide advice because the way the, the Canadian government looked at it is if you provide advice to those people, then you're guilty of a crime. So we wanted to make sure that our staff were able to say, well, go and talk to this lawyer, go and talk to this person. The phone calls that I received from racists, it was quite stressful. The city is, we still have racism in the city. We still have bigotry. It may be latent. It may be hiding under the surface of the, the, you know, do people still tell racial jokes? You hear about it. Um, So if that's still happening, then we haven't fixed it yet. We're aspiring to it. I would say the majority of people believe in aspiring to that. The majority of people actually believe in equality, but there are still people in our society that do not believe that way. And as a result, we're not a just and equal society yet. Well, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that we are not congratulating the women who were on that list. There were 73 of them. They're all nominees. And, and I, I don't dispute for a second that they are all worthy nominees. They've all done amazing things for the city. That's not what the topic is about. It's, it's, it's a good question. It's a great it's, question. It's, it, I, but I don't want, as we leave this topic, I don't want someone thinking, oh, we're saying that the women who were nominated are, are somehow but not I worthy. I can tell you that there are some men who will truly believe that and be very misogynistic about mm-hmm. it and be, why is this, what the, you know. Well, the we, follow-up question always is, be, always becomes, well, why is there not a men's award then for a level playing field. And the answer to that always is sarcastically, well, everything is a men's award. Well, neither of those things are actually entirely true. It's just that, you know, as you say, okay, we have not achieved full equality. Men have some advantages still. Um, but I don't know that either of those things is a perfect, a perfect answer to the question either, or a perfect response. We're still aspiring to fairness, equality, and that's a wonderful thing. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We've gone heavy so far. We have given you a uh, a hefty carbohydrate-laden meal of discussion for the last hour and 20 minutes or hour and 21 minutes. 22 minutes now. It just turned. Wow, look at that. The time is flying as we speak. Uh, let's go uh, somewhere a little bit lighter, gentlemen, um, just to send people into their Fridays not uh, not having heartburn, verbal heartburn. I was never a watcher or fan of Will and Grace. Just wasn't a show. I mean, we watched enough shows, I just didn't have time to squeeze Will and Grace into my schedule. It just never became a priority. However, the interesting part about this story, for I mean, if you didn't watch Will and Grace, it doesn't really matter for our discussion. You don't have to tune out because you didn't watch. The interesting part about the discussion is a number of years after it went off the air, NBC has decided, you know what? That was a show that people really liked and we are going to bring the cast back together. It's going to cost a fortune, but we're going to bring the cast back together for 10 episodes. And you know what? I bet it'll do exceptionally well because people love this kind of stuff. A, there's a lot of fans and B, people love it when they bring these shows back together. So Mike, I'm going to you first Mm -hmm. on this one. Mm -hmm. You are a TV executive. Mm-hmm. You have a bottomless budget, unlike the city of Hamilton. <laughs> you have your choice. What TV show or shows do you say, I got to bring that show back together for a revival because it was absolutely necessary to have that back? Cheers. 
Hands and down, Norm. Cheers. Norm. Exactly. And you know what? You could do that. They're all. I think. Are they all not still alive? I think they're I think all so. still alive. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and of course, I think people would probably agree too. If you could bring Seinfeld back. Well, you could. Again, they're all, could. they're all still alive. Th- those would be my two shows that I would love to see, um, because that they could all still be very relevant nowadays. Can you imagine Cliff and Norm sitting at a bar on their phones texting and all this and all the little <laughs> jokes and Sam with his Tinder and doing all of his oops sorry I got Siri going here now. You know <laughs> you could you could have you know Sam doesn't have a black book anymore. Now it's all in his device. Like you could just have so much fun with some of those shows now and it would be all new comedy, uh, all new laughs and again you're keeping the cast together. Yeah, they've aged but you have fun with it. You have Coach using a regular phone too. <laughs> yeah, Co- Coach is yeah. the only guy yeah, who's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. I'm Sam, I'm text yeah, yeah. messaging. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let me ask you about Seinfeld because Cheers is a great one, and again, they're still they're all uh, except for Coach who died during the making of the show. They're all still with us. We remember that, uh, of course, Michael Richards Kramer had an incident that got him in a world of trouble. He yeah, said, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, a word that we won't certainly say here, or we'd be in the world of trouble. Well, but he it said was, it repetitively. He said it rep- in a comedy store. He said a word that begins with N, and we'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And um, his career pretty much died. I think it that's tanked. a fair, it's a fair statement. He, his career, and I don't know if... He's done anything since. Could could Seinfeld, could you bring Michael Richards back? Do you think enough time, first of all, and we're, I didn't want to get all serious, but has enough time gone from that that you could bring him back and he could be the goofy Kramer again? Or does everyone go, oh, no, I can't do that show now because of that? I'm not sure that style of comedy would still work today. I watched the old Dick Van Dyke show the other night. And, um, you know, the falling over the couch. That was a show about. So, <laughs> no, I am fully aware. <laughs> we have a young guy here. Show. Come on here. Yeah. Jeez. He picks hey, here. I can go. I can go on YouTube and watch these shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have YouTube. I have it on tape. Uh, <laughs> on VHS. That's Beta. A, yeah. You know, and, and that slapstick, Mary Tyler Moore. I, that's a show that, that could come you back. Know, I, but that was a character show, right? Yes, Much yes. like Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. It was a character show. Um, and you loved all the different characters, and they were zany characters, but it worked. They had that chemistry. I think it, anything like that would work if you had that same chemistry. It will be interesting to see if they still have the chemistry. I didn't like the new Fuller House. I, I didn't I didn't think that it worked. Uh, they created another Full House, and mm-hmm. they brought back the old actors and actresses, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah, I, I would be very interested. I mean, uh, Mary Tyler Moore to me was that you bring that one up. That would be what I still, I, ne- I was too young, I guess. I don't know. I never watched Mary Tyler Moore originally, and my wife got into it, and I started watching it. Oh, and I, I got to tell it. you, it is honestly, truly one of the greatest shows mm-hmm. ever made, funniest shows ever made on TV. Betty White coming in from the snowstorm and saying, every snowflake is so precious and so unique and so unusual but you put a couple of million of them together and they can screw up a whole city. <laughs> I mean, you, I remember those lines yeah. and at the time it was, wow, that's hysterical. It is, uh, it's amazing though that they're, uh, the ones, uh, look, all three that we've mentioned mm-hmm. and I don't know if we did this intentionally, all the cast basically except for Ted Knight and mm-hmm. I don't know if you could do Mary Tyler Moore honestly without Ted Knight. I, I, yeah. I, that that would be such a huge chunk of that show that's missing. I, I don't know why they don't do this more often. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't. Well, they're I, doing it with movies. Th- exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? They're doing it with movies. And I've never understood why years later, especially at a time when the Hollywood TV industry seems to be, not the cable TV, HBO and Showtime, they always come up with great shows. But the broadcast networks seem to be struggling so badly to come up with new and creative and inventive content 
I'm always shocked that they don't say to the four from Seinfeld, hey, we'll give you a million I, bucks an episode each because they'll, they'll make that back like that. I think they have tried to go back to, to Jerry and say, let's do this. But again, Jerry being a smart businessman knew he got out on top and there was no reason for him to ever go back because his legacy now is forever that nine years of his show. And to this day, everything is still a Seinfeld episode that happens. Th- this I radio still, show is a Seinfeld episode. You I know still what I'm use at least once. Honestly, I still use at least one Seinfeld reference every day. Yeah. Every day. So I know that was tried but, with Seinfeld to try to get But he back. also made a lot of money and invested a lot of money. He doesn't need to come back. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other actors in a lot of other shows that could probably use the money if they were getting 750000 or a million bucks an episode like the top people are now. And I'm just amazed they haven't tried to do this with more. And even dramas. Like, they tried it with X-Files, which met with moderate success. But you know what, Brad? I, I agree. It's a different time. It didn't I work because of the time. I was surprised to see that they're bringing it back uh, or doing a movie, Chips. Remember Chips? Yes. Oh, Punch and John. I can't believe they're doing the, a but movie. But it's a takeoff of it. Oh, that's good. If it's uh, satirical, it's okay. I don't know but, why I haven't uh, heard about that. Seriously? That's yeah, going to oh, be honestly, awesome. Yeah. But it's like it, they're doing basically the same treatment to it mm-hmm. that the Brady Bunch movie did to the Brady Bunch, yes. where it's a, a, a mockumentary almost of the original one. So it's a nod to it, but like it's bewitched. not- like Bewitched. Yeah. What other, I mean, are there any other shows? I mean, I, I there are things that I would love that you could bring back that wouldn't even take a lot of effort, quite honestly. I would love- Which show wouldn't come back? I would love Wide there World of go. Sports to come back. Oh, yes. And, and, and you could do- and Now, we have- Everyone <laughs> has cable and sa- satellite and everything, <laughs> but there are still things out there that you could show that would be snippets of that would be fun. In, Bizarre in, in, stuff. In HD television? Yeah. Wow. I, I think, and I, as a kid, maybe that's just me, as a kid, Wide World of Sports was a highlight of the weekend. See, a highlight for me on the weekends as a kid was uh, with Mel Allen, This Week in Baseball. Yes. And then they, they tried to make it sexier, calling it twib and all that, but it, there was just something when you lost out on Mel Allen. Uh, and then the other one that I'm, well, there's, there's a few, um, but... Uh, uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I was just trying to think okay. of the name of it. With Marlon <laughs> Perkins. Now, yes. With Marlon Perkins. With the hat. <laughs> yep. Who always would like be flying over the, the Serengeti. <laughs> We'd always be flying over some sort of place and there'd be a pride of lions and they'd be in a helicopter. He goes, we're now going to, we're now going to lower Jim down into the pride of lions to feed them by hand. It's true. <laughs> and poor Jim would go down there and you'd figure Jim would be eaten. And you would finish your dinner with your family and you'd sit down around the television and watch that show. Yes. And be amazed because you Never, I mean, that time it was you only saw pictures in encyclopedias. We didn't have nope. computers. Followed by Wonderful World of Disney <laughs> came on next. And, 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 and I know you yeah. keep looking at me with that with that fatherly well, so hand. Young. Well, you know, you know, you you, you just said something that that kind of that made a lot of sense and triggered with me. At the at the end of the show, you'd all sit down with your TV trays and, and uh, around dinner and watch these shows, or just after dinner. We're not in that age anymore. And I, I'm embarrassed no. to say this. No, because you don't have to pull up a TV tray. You, you grab your smartphone. You grab phone. your phone and you scarf down some dinner and then you all bugger off into your own separate rooms and you're all watching your own separate YouTube channels, Netflix, whatever. So it's it's unfortunate that family time is not valued like it used to be where, you know what, Thursday night used to be the night to watch TV. It was Who's the Boss? It was The Cosby Show. It was Cheers. Family Ties. Family Ties. Boom, boom, boom. You had and your two Hill hours And then Hill Street Blues, I think. And now nothing. Last thir- last night, my wife and I were like, what's going on TV? We- there was nothing on TV. And my wife said Thursday used to- Big Bang Theory. Thursday <laughs> used to be the night. Now, you know what one show has kind of come back and you follow it on Twitter, but has brought families together? 
is This Is Us. Yes. Wednesday nights. That is a show that is bringing, I think, families together for that one hour to talk about the show. Um, maybe because it's relatable, maybe because you can picture yourself into one of those characters, but it seems to be, it, it's gotten away. Well, there's a myriad of stories in one oh, show. Oh, the writing, the acting, yeah. it's all spectacular, and it's gotten away from all the reality crap that you watch and all the scripted crap Tell me that what you really think. Oh, it's, just, it's garbage, <laughs> but See, I'm, I, I'm I will ha- watch Big Brother. I'm but, having only moderate success right now. we got to go over to commercial. Sure. I'm having only moderate success right now. Uh, although I may be making inroads in convincing people to gather around their radios on a cold winter evening and warm up some Ovaltine and sit and listen to the Scott Radley <laughs> show instead of turn off the TV, sit around the big old wooden radio that the family used to sit by for War of the Worlds. And I have one of them. It caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not because of this show. Yeah. It was a, it's uh, a hot show. <laughs> the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.